This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, this is That's Messed Up. I'm Lisa Traeger. And I am Kara Clank. And this is the podcast where we take you through an episode of Law & Order SVU, discuss the true crime that it's based on, and then give you a hard-hitting interview with one of the actors from the show. But first, we chit-chat. <laughs> but first, we talk. Um, yeah. It's almost 2021. We are almost dragging ourselves on our <laughs> on our forearms out of this horrible year. Um, I mean, this has been a good year for me in some ways in that we started this podcast. That's been a really fun, a plus to 2020. Yeah. Without this podcast, I don't know what else I would have. Yeah, I really. Um, <laughs> I, no, I, I mean, I feel like my hair is getting long and that's pretty exciting. So <laughs> oh my God, we're really grasping at that. <laughs> positives for 2020. <laughs> I'm getting very good at backgammon. That's been um, a number one activity. Oh my for God. Me. They should make a Queens gambit. That's like Lisa with backgammon. Just <laughs> I would love playing it. international tournaments. Well, did I tell you my father wanted me to be a chess girl when I was growing up and we'd go to the library and rent chess books and he would force me to play? Of course. I mean, isn't that just like Russian? That's like how I don't know. It's like how people in the U.S. want their kids to like read before other people. I think in Russia, it's like you need to be good at chess. Yeah, my sister and I were just reminiscing in her backyard um, with the fire and how my dad would he he worked at the pool. So he would force me to sit at the pool, but I couldn't go in the water and I had to read and write out of an encyclopedia <laughs> until he thought it was. A, and then I would I would be able to go swim. I mean, I feel like I turned out pretty fucking good for everything that's <laughs> happened to me. Considering. <laughs> My big story this year is my dad was going into heart surgery and I did say I love you and he did not say it back. <laughs> and my friend was like, you need to tell people that when you meet them. So then they understand you as a human a little yeah. bit better. <laughs> <laughs> You've never heard I love you from your father. Oh, my but he's God. Nice. My, I did not grow up in a big I love you household either. We really started saying it later in life where I was like, why don't we say it? My mom was like. I don't know. I always grew up thinking that people say it too much. And I was like, OK, <laughs> that because she's Hungarian, right? No, that's my dad's dad. side. Because yeah, my yeah. mom says that, too, about my sister's family. She goes, "Ugh, they just say it all the time. Like it disgusts her that <laughs> well, they my hug. mom says it starts to lose meaning if you say it like all the time. Like, bye. I love you. Bye. I love you. Love you. Love you. Like all the time. It starts to lose me. I'm like, I don't know. I say it to my kid. I scream it in her face constantly. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I love you so much. <laughs> she's so lovable. I hope she has a great 2021. I hope so, too. She's going to have her second pandemic birthday pretty soon. It's going to be great. But New Year's for us is like Christmas in the Russia for the Russians. We give presents. We get a New Year's tree. Um, we celebrate the old year. We eat meat jello. Um, oh we celebrate God, the what? new year. Yeah. I think you need to stop and back it up and let's talk about meat jello. My every new year, our fridge is just filled with like bowls of clear. It's exactly like I wish it was a, a sitting, you know, a it's, fun. Just, it's just ground beef in jello. It's like chunks of chicken with pepper in a uh, see through jelly hard form in a bowl. Uh, OK, so not sweet jello. No, 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 no. I'm more it of is, a savory jello. It's no? a savory. It, no, it's a savory jello. You're correct. Okay, it's a savory jello. Got it. Did you ever eat the jellos that were pink and red? 
at the store in those oh, the molds. combo flavors i fucking yeah, love so those <laughs> uh, my parents wouldn't really buy us jello but i feel like I, fa- I found a way to get those somehow uh we would make it from the powders yeah yeah see my mom my mom's not a big maker like okay. we didn't bake cupcakes we didn't do that kind of stuff well you know so i grew up th- were your parents good cooks mm, my dad is terrible my mom is like fine well because our friend um lauren i didn't know this but her family is notoriously bad at cooking to the point where the gra- they would leave their grandma's house and be sick puke and have to go to the hospital oh my god did you know this i did not that is some irish insanity what she said she made bernays sauce but it was just microwaved mayonnaise and then she served it and the children got sick and like oh my god oh my god i i literally had to just put my hand over my mouth for a second yeah no it's bad it's uh i my because even though meat jelly aside meat jello aside i always you love your mom's cooking i really love it tell me more about this russian new year i feel like i've learned so much about russia from you well we do presents and our family alone like to do a theme and so we would wear we all wore ties one year well that's definitely stayed with you lisa <laughs> loves a theme i do i do um one year we all dressed like movie stars and i did a gwyneth paltrow at the oscars look um i dressed like madonna one year maybe we did musicians yeah and then yeah my everyone gets hammered except for me because i was a kid but it was weird growing up because for everyone new year's it's like you know we're going clubbing and i had like i'll be with my family dressed as gwyneth paltrow (laughs) yeah (laughs) what do you normally do you rage new year's i usually just rage i mean i have literally I threw when I was in high school, I threw parties when my parents were out of town. When I was in college, I would meet up with my college friends and just get blacked. Out. They left you alone out over New Year's. Yeah. All those kids. No, they took my brothers with them to Ireland and left me home with my brother and my sister. But my they were staying at different places. And so I was I was staying with my mom's best friend. But I was a sophomore. My friends could drive. So they just picked me up and brought me back to my house. We don't even like have locks on my house. Please don't Google where my parents live. There's nothing worth stealing. But like my house is never locked. So it's like I just let myself in and just had a party. I would like to share with everyone my favorite Papa Clank story, which is (laughs) he refuses to pay for garbage disposal. So he takes his garbage to the dump. Yeah. 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 How much is he saving monthly? You know what? His car, you can tell it from his car. You can (laughs) smell it. Um, I, he's probably saving $12. I have no idea, but it's, it's just one facet of his insanity. Yeah. What do we do? We, you were, we were talking like, do we even talk about resolutions? Hopefully no one has a resolution except survive. I mean, like I've said before, I feel like we can only go up from here and I'm, I'm really entering 2021 with positivity and hope i hope soul cycle opens up soon <laughs> on that note of positivity <laughs> i do have to let you know that today's episode is called burned it's a pretty graphic episode i know we say this a lot because you know most of what we talk about um relating to svu is uh traumatic and upsetting but this episode you know just wanted to give everyone a heads up this is uh season eight episode 11 why don't we just get going let's talk about burned Let's get into Burned. This is a horrific episode based on a horrific crime. This episode has haunted me since it's come out. Like, I think about it regularly. I remember it being one of those. And it's one of those episodes, too, where it kind of ends and you're like, you don't really know what happened. Like, well, you do, but 
let me, let me get into it. Yeah. So this is essentially a very, like a custody battle episode. A he said, she said episode, uh, Blair Underwood plays miles, the very hot Blair Underwood that we all know from sex in the city. Dr. Robert Leeds. Dr. Robert Leeds. Well, cause I obviously loved him in that show and he's so hot, but he said, I love you in a cookie cake. And everyone's like, that's sweet. And I'm like, that's bad. Cause I had an ex once write down. I love you. And we'd never said it to each other, which puts the pressure on me and you don't get to do anything. Yeah. You didn't have you to just say write anything. it and then yeah. I have to respond. Fuck yeah. you. So I purposely didn't say it because I was like, I pretended it's I like didn't somebody see it. texting you. I love you for the first time yes. instead of saying it. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't like whatever. Let's get back. That's to for our sex in the city podcast, which is ava- available on our Patreon. No. Um, okay. <laughs> so Blair Underwood plays miles. His ex-wife is a woman uh, named Valerie who is played by the beautiful Michael Michelle, like yes. just a stunningly gorgeous woman. Uh, and they have a daughter named Tessa. So at the beginning of the, the show opens with Tessa is with her dad on a court appointed or no, a court supervised visit, excuse me. And, um, they, you can tell they have a close relationship, but like, yeah, he's like, are you working out so you can get boyfriends? And it's like, that's not a thing to say. Pops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're at, they're at this visit. The court appointed supervisor cuts that visit short. And as she's leaving, the daughter says to the dad, like, what's a Dallas headhunter? So, the, so it's very clear that which is like girl shut up yeah she's basically relaying information because these parents do not talk this is like a very contentious divorce you well can i was tell. also wondering why did the court appointed woman make the visit shorter like this is very mrs doubtfire but it's not a mom doing it and like oh i have to go here there's yeah. a dinner why is this woman doing that well they get into that later oh. with that they say um it's an abuse of her power like she's really she's taking it upon herself to say tessa's struggling in school so i'm gonna just take her out of her visit early, which is not cool and not allowed. Yeah. So the Dallas headhunter thing is like kind of the last thing we hear. It's a little bit of a tip off. And then, uh, back at the Valerie's apartment, uh, it's a clever way to get this going. It's just so funny. Yeah. Like, who who talks about Dallas? Head, I don't know. I just I want to I want to be in the writer's room when they're like, what do we say? How yeah. Do like something there? has to tip him off that they might be leaving town. Yeah. So we get to Valerie's apartment where she's showering and she is pulled out of the shower psycho style, like very scary. Um, and then it, the next thing we see is Benson and Stabler interviewing her about her rape. She says that it was her soon to be ex-husband miles. So they're in the process of a divorce. I suppose I didn't, I thought that they were already divorced, but they're in the process. So she has a protection order against miles and that's why the visits are supervised. And so they're trying to figure out how she even, how he even got into the apartment because he's not supposed to know where they live and he's, and there was no forced entry. So he obviously had a key somehow. So, and she also said he's addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So he's had previous issues with drugs and alcohol. Apparently he's supposed to be sober now. And, uh, she tells him about how she had an order of protection against him and it was set to expire, but an extension was not granted. So then we go, they go and they talk to this judge. Who's the one that did not grant the extension on the order of protection. He immediately uses the word feminazis. So I immediately hate him. Like what a stupid boomer word to use to talk about feminists. And this is the judge that looks like the old schlubby man that would be at Shull. 
You know, it's like Passover <laughs> and he's just uh, just like gross. His shirt's disheveled. He's, you know, eating yeah. some apples and honey in the corner. Right. That's his vibe. And he is like, oh, she's watched too many women in Jeopardy movies. And it's like, oh, do you mean life? Like <laughs> women are constantly in Jeopardy. Like, I don't yeah, understand. Are you working in the courts and see this? Yeah. <laughs> and then he introduces the idea of silver bullet strategy, which is something I've never heard of, which is apparently like. A, a strategy in divorces to say that you've been sexually assaulted in your divorce proceedings by your husband. Um, and Stabler actually says that his wife's lawyer, who he is in the middle of a divorce right now in this episode. Wow. That's, that's yeah. Amazing. They're weaving in and out of the story with uh, Stabler and his wife having their divorce looming. And um, Stabler says his wife's lawyer suggested it as a uh, strategy and that she turned it down. And I was like, I find it hard to believe that lawyers are telling women to just like, Oh, just say you were raped and you'll get custody of your kids or whatever. That just seems insane, but the law is crazy. Who knows? So Benson and Stabler, this is very, this is a very contentious episode between the two of them. Like they, well, yeah, because since Maloney is going through the divorce, of yes, course he has. he has the man's, yeah, he's very much on the man's side. Benson's very much on the woman's side. And then Munch and Finn go to speak to this court's uh, appointed supervisor who, you know, is a very, she is very like Mrs. Doubtfire. She's like very similar to the woman in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. She's like, I think that's the classic look. Yeah. If you're going to tell a dad he can't hang out with his children, yeah, you're she's like a, a very bun. severe looking white woman with a tight bun. And she is, <laughs> she's like, yeah, he, he definitely harasses the mother. He stays within five. He doesn't go within the 500 feet, but he's around. You see him like whatever. And he gets uh, violent at visits, but then this is kind of how the show doesn't make anything black and white here. Cause Finn's like, you shouldn't be cut cutting those visits short. It's not your job to assess his behavior. And like that he's, you know, if he's doing something violent to the daughter, sure. But he's only getting violent at you because you're cutting the visit short. And that's why he's yeah. getting mad. So, but I also saw, cause I saw that side. Cause even in the top of the episode, I was like, fuck, fuck this woman. Like, why are you ending the visits? But then on my notes, I wrote like, she is scared of him. Michael Michelle is scared of him. And yeah. how is that not enough? And why aren't we taking women's fear seriously? Right. Like she's not. Why is her fear not enough? Right. And they people look at it as like, no, it's a war for the child. And she's just trying to win it at all costs. That's like what the other side would and say. And you know what I hate with this war thing when the cops were like, well, let's get around. How can we get around parental consent to interview the oh, daughter? Yeah, that's coming up. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. So that's exactly where we are. So they they can't talk to Tessa because. Valerie won't allow it. So they just go to her school to speak to her. And like, which is insane. I think that's insane and like illegal, but like they do this all the time. There's another episode where the daughter told the nurse, the school nurse and Maloney and Ben's are like, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> like yeah. They go anyways yeah. and like ruin the secrecy medical codes. It's, yeah. They just will break any rules. Patient confidentiality, <laughs> <Yes>. medical <laughs> secret codes. <laughs> they just will try to get a kid to talk and ignore all the parents. And a part of me is like, yeah, you're helping. But it's like, what? You can't yeah. do this. Yeah. But Tessa says like there's she did not give the dad the key, you know, and she they think she's hiding something. But they but she hides the key in the backpack or not. hides. She just puts she, the key. She in the backpack. says she keeps her key in the backpack. Yeah. So now we know that the key is accessible to him. And there's he easily could have like made a copy of it at some point. I don't really know how during a visit, but he could have. Benson and Sabler go to talk to Miles. He admits that he's a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Said that there's no way he raped his ex-wife. He wouldn't touch her with a like, like a ten foot pole. He agrees to take a polygraph. 
So he seems very convincing in his innocence, like admitting to a polygraph. Like he's like, you can do anything you want. Like I didn't do this. Um, and then when they get to that, they do this all the time where people are at the precinct and they like run into each other. So we see this couple together for the first time in the episode and they are flipping out on each other, screaming. Valerie is there to recant her allegations. So he's technically free to go miles. And they, fight. and then they have this like crazy fight. Like he calls her a bitch and she's like, you're the bitch. Which I like. What's crazy. So, you know, when people fall in love and get married and decide to have kids and all of that, there's just so much love and happiness I and know. Opera, like positivity there. And it is so crazy to think of things going this sour. Yeah. And so while you're talking, I'm like imagining you and your husband. Oh, my God. Jared, one can day, you like, can you imagine being in a precinct screaming at yes. each other for Rosie's custody? No. Like, I can't. But like, then again, it's like, you never know where things go. Like luckily, like, yeah, you never know. Yeah. And them in the precinct, Benson says something that I find very important. She goes, I know when an abusive man is escalating. Yeah. And we see that a full on abuse does not happen out of thin air. Right. This is um, patterns and it gets bigger and worse and worse. So that I Benson saying that meant a lot to me. Right. But what's very interesting is like, so in the next act, we're still seeing Benson and Stabler having a ton of tension about this uh, a yeah. case. Yeah. He's like, she recanted. Fuck off. Yeah. 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 And she's like, I know something's going on here. I know this woman was raped. Huang interviews Tessa and she gives the history of the alcohol and like, you know, him being passed out, him being high, but says that he's never laid a hand on Valerie or Tessa. So, uh, you know, you you want to believe this kid is telling the truth that she's like, he's never laid a finger on us. He'll punch walls. He'll do this and that, but he has never like hurt well, us. I was about to say like you, hopefully as a kid, you don't, I mean, if they're hopefully, hopefully there's no abuse, but maybe the parents do it secretly. But this reminds me of big little lies where the dad thought he was like beating the shit out of Nicole in secret. And his little boys were they videotaping it and yeah. watching it. So right. kids are smarter than we give them credit of for course. or not. And so is like, is Tessa lying or did she really not see anything? Is she living in a bubble? You know, Right. Know. Right. Or yeah. Was he abusing her? Yes, exactly. On the side or whatever. And she so, loves her dad. So even if she did, he did, you know, he did do something wrong. Like, would she maybe lie to make sure her dad is in her life? Yeah. Because sometimes I think kids of like divorce might blame the mom and be like, it's your fucking fault that I can't see my dad. Even yeah. though the dad's terrible. It's yeah, so for sure. Life is rough. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so basically, Valerie is sticking to her guns that he did rape her. They find out that Miles bugged the social worker's car, and that's how he found out where they live. And then so Benson arrests Miles because I think the bug is like enough proof. He Oh, they also found hairs. Sorry, they also found hairs and fibers. So there's like enough evidence that he was in the house. So they bring Miles in. He fully admits to being in the house, it, like bugging the car, the whole thing. He said he went and yanked Valerie out of the tub and just shook her and left. He says it's because he heard the Dallas headhunter com uh, comment and was like, you're not allowed. You cannot move to Texas with my daughter. So that's what prompted him to go pull a naked woman out of the shower and shake her. I mean, this is also very not okay behavior. And I feel like he should have been charged for that. And he says, Valerie treats Tessa like a hostage in their, in their uh, relationship. And Huang kind of backs him up and says that there is no pattern of abuse. He believes Tessa. He is this, you know, psychological. Why do you think Michael Michelle recanted? Cause she was saying, I just want it to go away. I just want this to stop. Now, Benson and Stabler get into a very intense fight. And then Benson says, like, he says stuff to her, like, I'm the longest relationship you've ever had and with a man. So you don't really know how marriages work. And then she's like, um, 
she says that Stabler has a dying marriage and a history of violence. So she kind of like throws it right back at him, which is true. True. He does. And his marriage is in shambles. And Benson could get it if she wanted. Yeah. If she wanted to get married and have kids, she she's could. like the t- one of the top most beautiful women on this planet <laughs> and like tough and cool. I mean, I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Benson meets up with Kathy Stabler's wife and basically she wants him to, she wants Olivia to, uh, convince Elliot to sign the paper so that they don't have to do a contested divorce, which is a lot more difficult. We basically get this little snippet where a neighbor of Valerie's saw her, um, with a man named Phil from her attorney's and office. You know what? Fuck this neighbor. What are you telling your friend's business for? What the fuck? Yeah, it's weird. She's like, yeah, we're friends. We just gossip. Did see her with a guy named Phil once. It's like the classic neighbor testimonial. Tell your friend. The cops are asking me. What are you? That is anti-girl code. You do not (laughs) tell the cops who your friend is fucking. That is insane. Right. So now we are at Miles's bail hearing and Casey Novak asks for like 200K bail or something. And Judge Petrosky iconic judge yes. of, the, of the franchise judge Petrovsky clearly like doesn't like to see women beaters get off she is like no let's make it 500k which everybody is kind of shocked by which i think is more how the episode is trying to get you to be like is everything fair here like is like what are like i think they're really the whole time trying to get you to question who is in the wrong here because now he's got this massive bail which we can talk forever about well, how bail I is problematic I- against I thought it was because the order of protection was expiring too that she made it so high. Sure. But that was like another judge's call. And like, she didn't, you know, like even Novak says that's excessive, your honor. Like even she thinks it's too high. I mean, at the end of the day, 200 grand and 500 grand. I, what they're both insane. No, but well, they're not though, because like your bail is only 10% of that. So it's like, whether you can raise 20 K or whether you can raise 50 K. I mean, it's, you know, 20k you can like sometimes put your house up this like his parents had to put their retirement home up or something like that it was like a whole thing it just is more bail is like more punitive so it's like she is passing a judgment on him already and he has not been convicted of anything got it so i think that's what the show is trying to get you to question like who's in the wrong who's in the right here because that seems unfair to him a little bit so then this is where the episode takes a really really gruesome turn uh, oh, you know what I wrote here? I go, Michael Michelle and uh, what's his name? Blair Underwood stare at each other. They're both hot and angry, like Lisa Renna and Denise Richards. <laughs> so any Housewives fanatics, if you're that's cr- the energy. If, yeah, if you're a crossover <laughs> fan like it's we are. It's when Renna goes, ooh, ooh you're, you're so, so angry. <laughs> um, okay, so we find out that Valerie has been attacked in the street. We get to the hospital. She's in the burn unit. She's been set on fire. She's been doused in gasoline and set on fire, which is really terrible. This is very graphic. Like this scene in the burn unit, like you're seeing just like burnt, bloody flesh. It's very awful. And she, and her face is like she's laying. She, they have her. Horrible. They have her lying on her stomach. And like, what's crazy is that the detectives are allowed into the operating room, which <laughs> yeah. I don't really think is a thing, especially now with COVID. And yeah. Like, there's so many things we see where it's like even just people hugging or kissing on housewives. I'm like, oh, don't do yeah. that, or you know, high fiving a stranger. But this was insane. We're in yeah. a burn unit. They're without masks, just in their gear, not well, even they a were booty. Wearing, they're wearing. Oh, they were. They're wearing um, like those tearaway scrubs or whatever that are like very, but still it was like, you're just letting these cops into this woman who's like 
bleeding on an operating and table. And I love when the the ER people and the doctors are like, you can't st- get leave her alone. Yeah, she can't like, don't touch her. At die. one point they tried to touch her. They're like, don't touch her. But the doctors... They keep going, is she going to make it? And the doctors are like, doesn't look good. She's conscious. Like she's alive, conscious. And you're just talking about how she's going to die any second. And the thing is, um, all, they're, all the crimes on SVU are bad, you know, but th- something ought to burn you. I don't know what it is, but it is obviously an extra horrific yeah. crime and injury to heal from. But but they it just saying, makes my stomach sink. Yeah, it's really horrible. And it's also something about like it's. To me, it's something about destroying like how beautiful she is. Like Michael Michelle is like, extremely beautiful. His wife, Valerie, in this situation. And it's like, I'm just going to make it so that you're not beautiful anymore. Like even if he didn't mean to murder her, you know? And I think it also shows like the rage and hatred and what Benson said, the escalation. Yeah, because he could have just walked up to her and shot her. He could have poisoned her. I mean, there's a million ways he could have like killed her. But like up to set someone on fire is like... We should look into the psychology of what that means, because I think it's like about destroying like the physical, like what she looks like. Um, Valerie says they have to they have to talk to her in this burn unit because she has to make a dying declaration if she is going to pass away. And she says Miles, the one who set her on fire. So then and now Maloney is blaming himself yeah, as he now, should. Yes. And now Maloney is like, I should have listened to you, Olivia. And <laughs> Olivia is kind of like, no, how could we have possibly known it was going to escalate this far? Like, you knew. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, I didn't know it was going to go from like zero to 100 or whatever. I guess in this case, like 50 to 100. So and my um, my page where I take notes, it won't remember Maloney. So his name is Melon in all of my notes. <laughs> so Melon and Stabler are, I mean, Melon and Benson are kind of, you can tell things are kind of, he's a little bit apologizing without saying, I'm sorry. Okay. So we're in central park. Miles is like meeting up with Tessa. The cops are surrounding Tessa's like, daddy, don't do this. And he's, he confesses to his daughter. I killed your mother today. Like, which is wild. And she's like, I won't love you anymore. But then she's like, daddy don't go and she doesn't want the cops to kill him so then they they get tessa out of there the cops carry tessa off and miles and they're at the alice in wonderland statue i'd love to oh, okay add, at yeah. central park so if you need that. to know the location yeah. it's at like if you know a beautiful York. whimsical statue which beautiful. i don't think is on accident yeah they well could, it's childlike it's yeah. like basically this is a place where like so Alice in Wonderland is like a symbol of childhood. And like, then this is a place where this girl is like officially losing her childhood because her dad murdered her mom. And then her dad, Miles pulls out a knife, like fully, I think prepared to do like a suicide by cop thing. I don't think he's going to trying to kill any stab anyone. I think he's trying to like end it and they shoot him. He's on the ground. Benson unloads her gun and goes, your ribs are going to hurt plastic bullets. I'm like, what the fuck those exist like i know there are rubber bullets that they use in like protests and stuff but if you can like disarm someone with plastic bullets and like why are cops not using those like all the fucking time um because they want their goal that's the thing where when people talk about police reform it's like oh we have to no they want to kill black people that it, is what it, is happening because really there are because when Benson shoots him in his chest, I immediately was like, what the fuck? I can't believe they killed him. And I was thinking about the real world and how this yeah. happened. And when she mentioned the rubber bullets, I was like, I thought how you thought I go this. They could do this. Yeah, they have the opportunity yeah. to do this. Especially they can. if someone has a knife because like you don't bring a gun, a knife to a gunfight. You know what I mean? Like if someone has a knife or if someone has like a like a 
metal pipe. Like your gun is obviously going to get them. So use rubber bullets, use plastic bullets. And that's you what know? they're showing. And this is again, how we always talk about the fantasy of this show is Benson want, didn't want to kill him and yeah. did what she needed to do to make sure that didn't happen. Right. And so it's the choices that cops make and they choose not to do that. Right. So that's why you're like, why don't they do it? They don't want to do it. They are losers from high school that can't get their dicks hard. Okay. Mm. That's what it is. Not all. Uh, okay. So they go to anyways, visit, so but that rubber bullet scene is epic to yeah, me. Yeah. It's really wild. So they go to visit Valerie, who is still like not doing great. She's about to go into the OR for like, you know, to be operated on. And they tell her, Tessa's okay. We've got Miles in custody. She wants to know if he's been killed. And then. She says in this sort of deathbed confession that he still raped her. Like Olivia asks again, did he rape you? And she says, yes. So then the scene ends like really traumatically. She's crying. You just hear her screams of pain as they leave the burn unit. Stabler goes to his house and delivers the divorce papers to his wife because he's clearly now seen too much violence from like husbands against wives. But it's also like he puts it in the mailbox sneakily. Yeah. He doesn't (laughs) want to talk to her. He's just like, here you win. Um, So after the divorce papers, we see Philip Anderson. So this little Phil tidbit did not, did not go. I thought you were calling Phil little. And I was like, he looked like a tall man. (laughs) Little tidbit. Yes. This little tidbit like uh, actually pays off where he comes in, he comes into SVU basically tells Benson that he's been having like a very casual affair with Valerie. So casual that he like barely blinks an eye when it's like, she's in the burn unit dying. And he's like, we were just banging once in a while. Like she goes, aren't you going to visit? Yeah. And it turns out that he had sex with her the day of this rape, this alleged rape and didn't, and used a condom. So she goes to Stabler's house at like 4 a.m. They meet up downstairs. They're having coffee. And she's like, Valerie wasn't raped. And I'm like, why did they come to that conclusion? It's possible she was had sex at five o'clock in the evening and then was raped at 10 o'clock at night. I don't understand. Because was there a condom or no? I don't remember. Because I was there was thinking, a condom in both cases. There were no fluids. So that's to say maybe there was two sperms. But yeah, no, that would have made more sense. So that's really weird to me that they're just like she lied, like on her deathbed. She lied about being raped, which doesn't really track for me. And and it doesn't track for Benson and her personality. It seems weird. But I didn't catch this. I was like, I guess they're showing that hatred and divorce after death, whatever. But you're right. Like like, she could have. They're just acting like the the fact that she had sex with this guy, Phil, on the same day means that she wasn't raped by her ex-husband. And I'm like, I don't know. That seems weird. Um, But she also died 20 minutes ago. So RIP Valerie, that's like um, uh, the most horrible, horrific death I can think of. And then I remember watching this episode when it was on live, when they were sitting outside and he's delivered the divorce papers to his wife, Stabler, and him and Benson are sitting there and I go, this is it. They're going to kiss. I remember this And were you happy? No, because I mean, I just, I think it's great that the show never had them get together. I really do. But I remember so vividly being in my apartment in New York, watching this episode and going, oh my God, he's divorced now. Like there's no moral, there's no moral quandary. Like they're going to get together now. Like, and it's crazy. And that obviously doesn't happen. No, they just go to the diner. Yeah. But I love the New York coffee cups. I love yeah, they always have those little Greek diner coffee cups. They drink coffee. Um, and I love that their relationship. And I think they had to end it in some sort of upbeat or positive way because it's so horrific. Yeah. That like Sometimes they end on horrific stuff and you're just like left to be like, geez. But they really I think they knew they had to give us something good because yeah. this was like too intense. Yeah. 
Anyway, <laughs> let's hear uh, let's take a from our advertisers. <laughs> Perfect. Let's take a quick break and um, cleanse the palate, and then we'll hear about the real horrific crime yes. this was based on. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back. So obviously this is a horrific case and you can um, imagine that this is a really horrific case in life. Um, There are two good tidbits that I will start with up top. One is that she is alive. So yes, the real life uh, victim of this Yvette Cade, she is alive. You're saying her name very Russian. What is her name? I think that most people would say Yvette. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, wow. But I love it because your name is Elizaveta. So yeah. like you're saying it like your own name. I think it's cool. So Yvette um, <laughs> is alive. So that's really great. And he got life in prison. Okay, perfect. So he is rotting in jail right now. So we don't have to worry about any of that. We just wanted everybody to hear that right up top. So you know yeah. that this isn't all awful. Well, and I just want to differentiate because, you know, Michael Michelle dying in the episode was just like really sad. So this is like, yeah, I just, yeah, she's alive, which is huge. So besides Roger Hartgrave, there is another villain in oh, this um, episode. So we'll get into that. Now, this happened in October. And I'll go a little bit October 2005, but I'll go back when she met him. So Uh Yvette had a daughter um, and he had a son and they met and she said their relationship was awesome. He was fine. Everything was good. This is kind of a classic tale where it went bad after the marriage. Okay. So they got married and it just drugs, alcohol, and he became just verbally abusive. And her sister said anytime she called Yvette, like you can hear in the background, him just screaming at her. She said he used to call her a fat beached whale and just, um, it got worse and worse and she didn't want her daughter to be a part of this abuse. She felt guilty for bringing her daughter into this. Um, parenthood is hard. Uh, well, motherhood. I'm a parent. Okay, whatever. But I just, (laughs) you know, even in the episode where she gets raped at night or attacked and then the next she waits till the morning after her kid goes to school to call the cops to shield her away. It's like mothers just are always thinking about their kids before themselves. And this is another case where she's like, I need to get my daughter out of here now. She they were going through the divorce. It's very contentious. She does get a protective order. They go back to court because Roger wants to fight the protective order and the judge does not extend it. And this burn attack happened three weeks after the judge refused to extend the protective order. And he is disgusting. I'm getting chills thinking about this fucking judge, Judge Palumbo. And he is on administrative duty and retired. Like he did not um, work on the bench, but he is disgusting. And there's tapes from that hearing where she's like, I just, you need to do this. Like I am not safe. And he goes, and I want to be six, five. That's not my problem. Go to divorce court for that. Like <sighs> so dismissive. They has- definitely base the judge in the episode on this piece of work. Yes. I, Cause you know, it's tough with that show. Cause you're like, people can't be that bad. And they are. And like, yeah. I think we learn a lot from SVU that judges take bribes. Judges have their personal vendetta. Mm-hmm. Like they just have their own shit. And you know, 
They could also be sexist pieces of garbage, but he's a full psychopath. Um, he dismissed her and he's never apologized because he doesn't admit he did anything wrong. And he says it's a clerical error, even though he's like on tape denying the extension. He says that it like the denial of extension was Correct. a clerical error. Yeah, because the chief district court judge disagreed and was like, there is no error. He's like fucking lying. And so he was temporarily removed from the bench. But then the Washington report, the Washington Post reported later that he like a Maryland state trooper gave him a ticket and then voided it because he was a judge, which is illegal. So he was he cannot be on the bench anymore. Mm. But the fact to not apologize when something this. But this is why the news got such attention. I think just a, a public burning like that would get attention. But the fact this is just like. Well, this can you walk so us much. through what actually happened? A hundred percent, but a hundred percent, but like just that, um, what is it called when you want people, not a protective order, but a restraining uh, order, uh, all yeah. of those, like, you know, cops in our judicial system so often wait till something happens and they have, they can't do anything beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so many women end up being murdered by their spouses right. and exes and lovers, whatever, because of this and our fucking archaic um court system so that's another reason this was such big news so basically yvette went to work at her t-mobile store she worked at a t-mobile store roger called yvette six hours before the attack and said to her i want to fry you like crisco grease and she didn't take that literal i bet because he's been verbally abusive throughout their marriage so she went to work at t-mobile and he came in and um in a soda bottle he had gasoline and doused her with it. She said she didn't even realize it was gasoline because she was so concerned with not causing a scene at her job. Oh my God. So she even then, like she was just like, didn't want to cause anything. So she's running out the door. So as she's running out the door, he's chasing her. And this is all caught on camera. Everything. Um, Cause it's a store. There's fucking yeah. security cameras everywhere there. You can, wa- I mean, I'm not, I did not, I chose not to I watch the video. Watch it. So she's running out of the store. He steps on the back of her shoe to stop her. And she said she felt something on her back and was in full flames. Um, And she ran back into the store because she knew there was a sink. And so she wanted to get to water. So she runs back into the store to get to the sink and she starts putting water on her face. And she says she remembers thinking and feeling my face is melting. Oh, my God. She was burned 60% of her body. She barely survived. She barely survived. Um, And all of these injuries have weakened her immune system. And she suffers now from PTSD, anxiety, and fear of fire, obviously. And trust. And how do you trust a partner ever again? So when when this happened, before she was able to go home from the hospital, she had 17 surgeries before (sighs) returning home. And it was hell. She's lost her ears. So like she doesn't have ears anymore. Um, And she had to wear a plastic face shield for 23 hours a day. And because the burn and scar tissue obviously hardens your skin. It's just really tough. She said brushing teeth and just simple tasks were so painful um and so tough and i saw uh, she was on oprah in 2006 Mm -hmm. and it was a rough go i've seen more current video footage of her what's wild about yvette is i found a lot of interviews with her talking about other cases where this has happened like this keeps happening so i would click on a video thinking she'd be talking about herself and her experience and it was her talking about all these other women that this has happened to. So two of the videos I found were her giving advice and talking about 
uh, this happening and it's fucked up. And she says the reason she went on Oprah and was so vocal and wanted to speak out so much is because her daughter saw all this and she doesn't want, and that's all her daughter knows. So she doesn't, she didn't want her daughter to think it's okay or accidentally fall into a pattern thinking, Oh, well this is all I know. And this is what a relationship is. Mm -hmm. So she really wanted to speak out to be public and to make sure that her daughter knew this is not what you put up with. So they went to court. The jury took two days and seven hours of deliberating and he was found guilty of first and second attempt. Um, attempted murder, first and second degree attempted murder and first degree assault. And I don't know this of how many attempted murder people go to jail for life, but they did the right thing. Mm -hmm. This man should not be in the open. He should not be a free man. Um, If you can burn uh, your ex, someone you knew intimately like that, what can you do? to strangers or in the future or when you yeah, snap, he should you not right. be out in public. He also, which is so weird, was like, um, I wasn't trying to kill her. I was just trying to burn her. Like that is some sort of ex- excuse. And they said throughout the whole court proceedings, he was expressionless. Didn't, he did not testify on his account. I think they, yeah, they he probably had nothing to offer that was in his own defense. No. And this is a little nice little fun, fun moment. Um, you know, as fun as you can get with a case, this brutal, but when the guilty verdict was read in the court, Robert again, made no expression, his face, Roger, and then, yeah. Roger <laughs> I told you. Um, and when the bailiffs or whatever went to take him away, two of her friends that were in the group with Yvette in the courtroom went by in unison, which is amazing. And <laughs> those are the friends that we all deserved. And they yeah. said that he turned around but looked at them expressionless, which makes me think you're a sociopath yeah. if you don't even have fear of life in prison right. or any remorse or anything. And <sighs> nothing. Um, and I'm glad he's fucking behind bars for everything. And... There was just it was all on video and so many witnesses at the store and the job that there is really like no way to get out of this. But yeah, she has a lot of psychological damage. And she was saying that it's really hard because now like her hands will always look burned. Mm -hmm. um, But she looks quote unquote normal. I don't know how to discuss this without being like, I don't know. I actually don't know the proper way to talk about this. She looks as normal and not burned as you can. Like what, how do you, I don't know what to say. Um, but she said that's, what's tough is because she looks so normal. She feels she has to explain her psychological um, trauma Uh and prove it to people all the time. And she hates talking about it because she feels like she constantly has to prove that she has problems, but of course you're going to be fucked for life. Psychological. I can't imagine getting through something like this, um, unscathed at all. Right. But this is another good moment. She, where they're talking about the scars, she's on Oprah and she said, I know what it feels like to be pretty. So if they don't like it, that's too bad. Cause she's like, I don't care what people think about how I look burned now. And I just love that. Confidence, Confidence. beautiful. Like where she's like, I know what it is to be hot and I have a great person. Like, yeah, I don't need that validation from you anymore. And, you know, there was a complicated journey and she talks about like people being like, but you're still beautiful and like believing you're beautiful. And are you still beautiful? And what does beauty and is it Mm -hmm. inside outside? I mean, it's I really can't imagine living with this sort of trauma and the guilt of like marrying someone and bringing your daughter into that. Like, I'm sure there's a lot to it. And I hope she's getting all the therapy and everything that 
she needs. Yeah. And fuck Judge Palumbo. And if you ever see him out in public, you can spit on him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I. Yeah. I mean, and it's like what we were talking about before. Like, this is very common. It seems like not common, but more. It has happened a lot of times that men are just setting women on fire. And I would love if anyone has a psychology background, like. But I think you were right on the money about like the looks and the ownership yeah. and if no one can have, you know, yeah. like making you look awful. Yeah. Cause like it didn't seem like he didn't, he didn't intend to kill her. He intended to just make her suffer. Oh, you know what? One of the other cases Yvette was on the news commenting on was actually like a wife and husband and the husband was cheating. She burned the woman, the other oh, woman God. who was like an objectively like mega blonde hot babe wow and um yeah fully yikes burnt. so it was an ex-wife so it's like i think you're right in terms of like ruining the looks because this wasn't a husband this was like a woman jealous but it's like burn your husband don't yeah. burn anybody yeah. please don't, don't burn, burn anybody. anybody please but it's like i i hate this equal responsibility i mean i'm sure it's denial and lots of things but like i hate the I hate the thing of like the other woman's to blame. And it's like that other woman owes no one anything. Like they're allowed, they're free to fuck who they want. Like the anger should be at the person who's made a commitment to you or to be faithful, who is down. Right. The the concept of the home wrecker is very problematic. I think it is. Cause even if let's say a woman has super low self-esteem, a fucking town slut, who's just out there trying to get married men, (laughs) that is her prerogative and she owes no one nothing. Yeah. You know, like it is the husband's job is to not, yeah, I've definitely gotten into fights with my friends about this, but it's like, I don't care if there's a woman naked, spread eagle. You cannot like, enjoy it. You cannot like that woman, yes. you just, but you shouldn't be blaming her. When people blame the other woman all the time, it's like, no, she even if a little her, delusional. Like, legs open, but like fully yeah. naked being like, penetrate me. Like <laughs> It is up to the person who made a commitment to say no, thank you. As appetizing as you made that sound, a lot of men <laughs> would have a hard time saying no. I do want to say I would like to just quickly mention the five indicators that a relationship can turn violent. And this is back to what Benson said about like, you can see when someone is escalating, you don't. And that's what's so fucked about our courts. They wait till it's too late. Mm -hmm. So it's possessiveness and jealousy, controlling behavior, verbal abuse, threats to harm you, friends, family, or pets, and isolation from friends and family. Yeah. If you just think your significant other is just a little jealous or, you know, doesn't let, oh, he doesn't like me going out without him, you know, like these are signs. Yeah. Cause I, I like to go on the, am I the asshole Twitter? Right. Yes. A lot. And there are cases sometimes where people write and I don't, I'm not privy to it. It's just like a dude or it's I'm just I keep wanting to be gender neutral and like respectful and like lesbians I'm sure can be violent too but I am just speaking in such heteronormative terms but <laughs> um a lot of times like a guy's acting weird and then all the comments are people being like these are warning signs get the fuck out yeah. this is not okay get out and I'm like he just said this little thing or he just won't let her do that but people that know this or have dealt with this or have seen it or are educated in this yeah. know that those are indicators of yeah. what could happen later um once you're married like he didn't get violent like he didn't do this till after marriage right so just to make sure that you're not like oh my boyfriend's jealous it's cute haha or like he doesn't let me go bowling or he doesn't like those things are clues and to make sure that you're being treated like an autonomous amazing human yeah but the thing that's scary is 
people that are abusive are master manipulators and they're able to be like members of the community and positive and happy. And so people don't believe it. And there are good at manipulating. I've been manipulated before and it's like, they're good at it. Or Benson always talks about this. How like predators know who to victimize. They know that you've been raped before that you have problems or your dad didn't like you. They (laughs) are in tune to that. So don't feel guilt, shame, or embarrassment if you are in a situation that ends up being abusive or violent because these people are good yeah. at hiding it and manipulating you to think that. Well, thank you for taking us through that very harrowing case. I and, I'm, and you know what? I'm I'm just so thankful that she survived this. Yeah, what such a, a strong woman. Thing. Jesus. Okay, well, let's get to our guest interview. Our guest today was a little bitty child in this show, which is amazing. And now she's a full fledged R&B hip hop musical superstar. Yeah. Even younger when she was on Star Search, the only person to ever get all tens from the judges. And what I love is I did, you know, I was listening to all her YouTube videos and the first person in all of history, I would say only positive comments. I did not see one negative comment on her videos. Every video was like, she should be more famous. She's incredible. Voice of an angel. She is gifted. Like there was not one not nice thing. She directs a lot of her videos. She dances, she acts, she sings. And while we talked to her, This was our first time. She was in a makeup chair. She was a girl on the go talking to us about to shoot a music video because she is now a member of an R&B duo called Juwan and Tiffany, stylized Juwan x Tiffany with Juwan Harris. They release a debut single called Finally in October, and they're gearing up to release their first project in early 2021. Guys, we have with us today from the episode Burned, we have Tessa. Please welcome Tiffany Evans. Hey, girls. Hey, girls. Hi. As a New Yorker, when you got the call that you got the part in Law & Order SVU, were you a fan of the show, familiar with the show? Was it like a big deal when you booked that part? Um, You know, I was a kid. Yeah. I, do, <laughs> I do remember seeing it on TV like all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just I just knew at that point I really I really loved acting really love to act and I'm like okay you know honestly if I get this part then that makes me like the real deal holy you know what I'm saying like people are going to take me serious as an actress so yeah I really wasn't familiar with the show like as far as like watching it or whatever but as far as knowing about it and how important it was to people um I knew I knew that much and it made me want to go for it now your episode is pretty intense and has haunted us for over a decade now (laughs) (laughs) how do you does like usually when you do a tv thing you want to get together with your friends and watch it but it's such a serious episode like yeah yeah, how did you feel on set did they shield you away because you were young and yeah all of those questions and when you did you watch it when you were that young (laughs) um it's so funny because the whole experience was really really cool like I was on set with some pretty serious actors you know like they they take that acting business very serious so I kind of got to channel my own emotions and and bring more of my own feelings out into the character because my parents at the time they were kind of going through nothing like the storyline but right. um they were <laughs> they were going through a 
a nasty ending divorce. And oh, so, wow. yeah. So my parents, they didn't really see eye to eye at the time. And they were really like, you know, I mean, she should still do the role, you know, even though it's kind of hitting close to home. Blair Underwood is like undeniably hot, but he has to be your dad. Yeah. <laughs> I had a crush on him. Yes. <laughs> crush on him. I was like, wait, I'm, is this like, I mean, I know he wasn't paying me any attention at all. Kids, <laughs> like I was just like, oh my gosh, like having daydreams about him. <laughs> yeah. And then your mom is like the most gorgeous woman in the world. Like you literally had the hottest parents I've ever seen on an SVU episode. <laughs> They were gorgeous and they had a beautiful child too. So, no, yeah, but, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, do, do you have any like memories of? I know that you were like 14 or 15 when you did this. So, I know it was a long time ago, but do you have any like specific memories from like, I don't know, did Ice T say something funny to you or like anything with Blair Underwood or like Michael Michelle or anything like that? And our queen, Mariska Hargate. Yeah, and our queen. <laughs> <laughs> Can I be honest? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, I think Ice T was like, "Who is this little kid?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was really focused on me. That was probably before be it was because it was before he had his little baby Chanel. Like now yeah, he has a bit. Yeah. Now he has a little daughter, so I'm sure he'd be a lot nicer to a kid I'm on set sure now. He'd be a, light, <laughs> a lot nicer. I'm sure too, because he. I think he was just looking at me like, "Yeah, she's just here to do her job or whatever." <laughs> um, but you know, I think. <sighs> I'm just going to be really, really honest. Everyone was super serious because Ooh. of the nature of the production and the, the storyline. Yeah, and, yeah. And so uh, I do remember Blair would be more friendlier. He was friendlier. He had a calm spirit, but he stayed in his dressing room most of the time. And, and when he did come out, like he smiled and um, he would ask me if I'm ready or, you know, if I need mm-hmm. any help going over my lines. Oh, that's nice. Michael Michelle, she was very serious. I mean, and I understand why. I really do. As I got older, I'm like, you know what? They had to be in character. Yeah. And and she's like, that's based on a real story. So, like, I'm sure they wanted to, like, you know, be respectful to, like, the real Well, and I'm also thinking about the scene at the end where he has the gun and every all the cops are around and you're in, like, Central Park. Like, that must have been intense. Oh, that was intense. That that was intense. It almost felt like the the real scene. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just like, wow! Like all of these people around. And I re- okay, I do remember being really really cold. <laughs> yeah, it seemed cold. It seemed like a cold time of year. I think it was in the winter time that we shot it. I'm not sure, but I remember it being really really cold. And I remember rehearsing my lines with with Blair Underwood, and I remember him just like. When you need to cry, you know, I need you to pull that emotion from the experience, the experiences that you've had in the past that impacted you the most. And he was like, so think of something that really, really hurts you. Like it it could be your 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 losing a loved one. It could be, you know, maybe your parents have gone through something similar to this in which they were like, just mm-hmm. not super similar, just the divorce part. But yeah. Yeah. Not the violence. I'm sure. Right, yeah. Right, not the violence, <laughs> but it just being really nasty with them parting ways. And so I'm like, you know what? 
I'll think about my, my, my grandma passing away and I'll think about my parents kind of going through this nasty divorce. And I wish it was just, I wish I wasn't in the middle of it. Wow. That like changes that. I feel like if I go back and watch the episode now, I'm going to be like so much more sad for you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, <laughs> you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's the sad part about it. But you know, honestly, I was able to pull my emotion out and kind of just feel like, okay, Tessa, like I can only imagine what you're going through because, you know, your mom is claiming that she's been, you know, violated and your dad is someone that you love. And he's saying that he didn't do it. And you want to protect him. You want to protect the both of them because you love the both of them. And it's like, you're being forced to choose. And I'm just like, man, like I can relate to that in a sense, because I, I do feel like, you know, my parents are kind of like, you know, forcing me to choose a little bit because mm. one is unhappy with the other and I, I love the both of them. And so, yeah, that moment was pretty intense. And they had like a whole bunch of people around staring and it was just, I thought it was really cool though, overall. Yeah, I bet. I mean, you slayed your performance. It was yeah, you were amazing. Very good. I hope you, Thank you, darling. Thank you. make time <laughs> to act again. So I was watching some of your music videos and you directed them. And this might be a stretch, but did you learn anything on set at SVU that kind of you kept with you to help you when you're the number one on the call sheet or directing? Uh, I, I got a lot of information as far as just, you know, the, the call sheet, how to how to work a call sheet, how the production assistants work, the director, you know, he's very like, he goes over the shot list and it's, that's something that you have to do when you're working on music videos, you have to have a shot list. Um, there's so many moving parts and continuity is extremely important. And that's something that you have to also consider when you're directing a music video, like so that the scenes connect to each other, but it's a lot of hard work. I love grinding like that. Like I love being a part of a production. I love seeing things on paper and then actually coming to life. Like, I think that's really, really cool. It sounds like at the moment you're mostly focusing on your music, Do you? but are you still doing acting like here and there on the side or is it mostly like music right now? I love music. You know, I love acting. It's just really <laughs> wild because I can, I can sing and act, but, um, I, I really did have to take some time out to focus on the music because that's my first love. And I wanted to get, you know, my team together. I wanted to get all of the key people together to make what my what my dreams are for my music to happen. But as far as acting, I know that I'm going to have to take the same amount of time to put into acting because both worlds are very, very busy. Let me just say that both right. worlds are very, very busy. And you can you can be a singer and an actress at the same time. But the focus is intense, especially for acting. And I don't ever want to get on camera or, you know, on a film. And people are like, oh, man, she's a great she's a great artist, but whew, she cannot act. She's very <laughs> stiff. <laughs> so I, I would, I would want my focus to be really like centered. If I'm going to, if I'm going to act, then I'm going to focus on acting. And so I feel like I have to take some time out for that. Just like I've done with singing. 
Did you grow up in a creative home? How did you find out that you could like sing and act? I watched your star searches. They're incredible. Your voice is like so you're so cute and you're like so passionate. Like you're so young and you like sing like an adult. Oh, thank you. Thank you. They're so sweet. I was such a baby. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. You guys watched all of those videos. I still get embarrassed. I can't even watch them now. No, you were so and like you're you like the only thing that was weird to me is why that one of the judges was Ben Stein, the guy from the eyedrop commercial. And I was like, what's he doing there? I know, I know. I remember him too. And they were they were all nice though. They were all very nice. And honestly, like I think I was kind of like oblivious. I really didn't know what was going on exactly. I just knew I was a kid who wanted to sing and who wanted to eat and and you know go to Hollywood. That was my first, that was first on my list. Like I told my dad when I was nine years old, I was like, dad, you know, I want to go to Hollywood. I really want to be like J-Lo. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like J-Lo. Triple threat. And so that was the first place I went to. It's, it's crazy how it manifested. Wow, that was amazing. I'm sort of starstruck. She has like 20 million views on one of her YouTube videos with Sierra. Well, and I love glam. I like that she was getting yeah. her makeup done while yeah. talking. She's to like, us. I'm a girl on the go in a pandemic. <laughs> I've got to go. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to her new stuff. And it makes sense. I mean, obviously, we want dirt from the set and how everyone was just high fiving and like eating cakes together, but it is a serious episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if the vibe does change from episode to episode. Very true. Yeah, because it's like, hmm, I'm trying to think of who else we've talked to. It's just, well, I, I'm not even going to say anything because I don't even know the order. But like, <laughs> there's just something so scary about the burned, the end, yeah. the burning. Like, obviously, the show is about sexual assault. Like, there's every episode's pretty hard, but there's something about that ending that lingers and scares me. I really well I think it's because there's almost like two endings of that episode there's like the scream when they're walking out of the burn unit where you're like oh my god that's so horrific and then there's the second ending later where you find out that she dies and so it's like a double trauma double whammy. it must have been so crazy to have your parents be going through a divorce and then being on the set of like the worst divorce you could ever imagine yeah yeah totally <laughs> as like a teen yeah I'm glad she was able to pull from it because she was really good. And I'd like to I think I learned that I would love to be in a movie with Blair Underwood and have him coach me um, yeah. and give me some acting tips. <laughs> You'd love to have Robert from Sex in the City give you some acting tips. I would. Yeah, I guess it's like, I don't know what the I don't know what the what we've learned is here, because it's like no one can anticipate that their ex is going to douse them with li- like no, gas and light the them on fire. Is, but the thing is, Kara, she did. And she begged for a restraining order and a continuation the woman in real life. Yeah. So in. Yeah, you're right. In real life. So I think the lesson we kind of know, but I wish everyone else would learn is we need to change the we way need to protect system. women when they talk yeah. about domestic violence. They're not exaggerating. Yeah. And like, we shouldn't wait until something bad happens. And Mm -hmm. um, I voted this last election voting for all the judges was so fucked up. I was researching all the judges in Illinois. One had sexual assault uh, accusations against him called a prosecutor a bitch. I've just one judge put two people away unfairly for decades for crimes they didn't commit. I was reading about like probably 50 judges and so many of them are shady. I feel like 
take politics out of judge. I don't know what is the answer, but like get yeah. old white gross people off the benches. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what what we have to do. But if you're listening and you're an old white gross judge, we coming for you. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, we need better judges, a better court system. And maybe this podcast will fix everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also learned Ice-T hated children until he had (laughs) Chanel. (laughs) So for this week's What Would Sister Peg Do, where we direct you towards a resource, we wanted to get your eyes on The Hotline, which is www.thehotline.org, which is a place you can go for domestic violence resources and help. And I'm actually really impressed with this website. Like the minute you go to it, it gives you like a security alert in case your internet usage is being monitored. Like it's very, it gives, you can live chat, you can talk, uh, get a phone number and it's the national domestic violence hotline. And it is of course, completely confidential. Next week, we will be covering iconic episode babes, season 10, episode six. Please watch along with us. Hulu, Peacock, buy some DVDs while you're at it. (laughs) It's the holiday season. I bet they're all on super discount now because it's after (laughs) Christmas. Go out and buy all 22 seasons of SVU on DVD. And we'll see you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessuduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessuduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer and fellow SVU superfan, Hannah Kyle Creighton. Thank you to our heroes, Stephen Ray Morris and Annalise Nelson, our engineers. To Henry Kapersky, musical extraordinaire for our theme song. To our artistic queen, Carly Jean Andrews, for all of our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun! dun dun, dun.